This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of 2 Corinthians. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. This is God's word. Please be seated. Well, there's a lot in this passage, and we're not going to deal with all of it, but we are going to mainly zoom in on verse 18, this idea of beholding, which brings about transformation, this idea of gazing, which brings about growth. And you know, I know all of us desire to grow. I mean, I think it's a good thing. I mean, God has made us to grow, and There's a reason why we talk about healthy things growing, because they do. Healthy things grow. I think it's appropriate to connect health with growth. I mean, we we all at some level understand complacency as a, a bad thing, not a good thing. We don't strive to be complacent, right? We strive to grow, to be changed, and to transform. And of course, there's a lot of money being spent and being made, in the whole world of personal growth. And I don't even say that as necessarily a bad thing. I read a lot of those books and I think they're helpful in many ways. And I think that we would do, it'd be good if we continue to theologically integrate psychology and what we learn from the social sciences uh, as we think about all that God has revealed to us in his word. So that's not all a bad thing. Right? There, we need people to help us identify things in our life that are hindering us from growing. We know that there are relationships, and we need people to show us things in our life. There are things that we believe that just aren't true. And isn't that an amazing thing about perception? We can really think something is real, and it's not. And we need people to show us, hey, that's not true. Where did you hear that from? That's keeping you from growing. That's keeping you from becoming who you're called to become. And so we... We may call them mentors, we may call them helpers, we may call them disciplers, we call them lots of things, but this journey of growth is never alone, and yet the person or people that help us grow may change. But one thing that remains the same is the desire to keep growing, to keep changing. And one of, I think, the, the most common misconceptions about growth is that there's a simple equation. And the equation goes like this, time plus experience equals growth, right? Just if I just put in the time, I'll grow. If I just keep showing up on Sunday morning, I'll grow in faith. Well, it's better than not coming. 
That's for sure. But you've heard, the, you've heard the phrase, practice makes perfect. And you know what we mean by that. But then you hear people say, well, actually, they'll say something like, perfect practice makes perfect. And of course, that's right. It, it's not just any type of practice. What if you're practicing incorrectly? You're not going to get any better. But if you practice deliberately and specifically with focus, that's actually when you grow in the way that you desire to grow. And so it's not time plus experience equals growth, but it's time plus a deliberate experience that brings about the type of growth that we want to have. And one way that uh, this is talked about is what's called deliberate practice. That's a phrase maybe some of you have heard before. But I didn't even know this existed. There are experts on experts. Isn't that interesting? There are people who research expertise. There are researchers who research people at the pinnacle of their field and of their career, whether it's a sport or a field or whatever. And there's one professor of the last name of Erickson who is called the expert on experts, okay, which is just a hilarious title. When, how do you become that anyway, to become an expert on experts? It's, I would take it though, if you guys wanted to call me that. So there's an article I was reading, and the, the woman who's writing the article uh, recalls a conversation she has with Professor Erickson. She's trying to understand the concept of deliberate practice. And here's the conversation. She says, look, Professor Erickson, I've been jogging about an hour a day, several days a week since I was 18, and I'm not a second faster than I ever was before. I've run for thousands of hours, and it doesn't look like I'm anywhere close to making the Olympics. And he laughed, and he said, that's interesting. Can I ask you a few questions? And she says, sure. And he asks her these questions. Do you have a specific goal for your training? And she says, well, to be healthy, or if I'm really honest, she said, to fit into my jeans. He said, right, right, but when you go for a run, do you have a target in terms of the pace you'd like to keep or a distance goal? In other words, is there a specific aspect of your running you're trying to improve? And she said, uh, no, I guess not. Then he asked uh, what, uh, what she thought about when she was running. And she said, oh, you know, I mean, I listen to NPR. Sometimes I think about the things I need to do that day. I might even think about my plans for dinner. And then the last thing he verified was that she wasn't keeping track of her runs in any systematic way. So he said, no diary of your pace, your distance, or the routes you took, your ending heart rate, or how many intervals you'd sprinted instead of jogged. And her response was, why would I do that? And he said, okay, okay, so do you have a coach? I'm assuming you don't. And she laughed. And he said, okay, I think I understand. You're not improving because you're not doing deliberate practice. You're putting in the time, but you're not thinking about anything. You're not focusing. You're not gazing. You're not beholding something. You're just going through the motions. And you know, it's not the exact same thing, but there is some similarities actually in what Paul teaches us today in this passage about growth. In our life with Christ, we fail to grow oftentimes because we fail to have a deliberate gaze upon him. We don't deliberately behold him. We don't focus on him. We just sort of go through the motions like 
a blur, cars pass us on the freeway, just going the other way. I mean, it happens all day long. You're driving, cars are passing you, but there's no deliberate focus. There's no deliberate gaze. And so the failure to grow is a failure to gaze upon Christ. That's what Paul would tell us. And for many of us, we've lived as though the power to grow over the long term is mainly to stop doing certain things, right? Or maybe start doing certain things. But the reality is, is that gazing upon Christ is how you grow. Growth comes from gazing, not glancing. Okay, so you don't grow by glancing at Jesus. You grow by gazing at him. And gazing can be defined this way, to look steadily and intently, especially in admiration, surprise, or thought. Dallas Willard has a quote about the mind and spiritual formation. He says, the ultimate freedom, I don't know if that's right, but definitely a freedom. The ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we allow or require our minds to dwell upon. Think about that. Right now, you can choose to listen to me or not. You can choose to require your mind to listen to my words, or you can just think about the rest of your day just like she did as she was running, sort of flitting around. Same thing with your Bible reading. You can just read it to check off a box and just go through it. Or you can require your mind to gaze, to behold. And we grow by gazing. And so I think in this passage, we see three things um, that Paul tells us about growing in the gospel. And the first thing is this. He gives an assumption, he reveals an assumption, and that is growth. Like you will grow if you are a Christian. That is his assumption. And the theological word for this, growing over the long term, this process of becoming more like Jesus is called sanctification. So sanctification actually requires seeing. It's not just knowing stuff in the types of information and facts, but to grow, sanctification requires seeing. And in this passage, Paul develops a sort of complex image from the idea of Exodus chapter 32 through 34. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but I will mention it. Basically, Paul talks about this veil and he, he creates this imagery around a veil. And in Exodus 32 and 34, and really in Exodus, we see Moses, the man of God, the representative of God before the people, he actually goes into God's presence and speaks with him as a friend face to face. And when he comes out, his face glows from the glory of being with the Lord. And so he puts a veil over his face and commentators will talk about why exactly that was. And for our purposes today, it doesn't really matter exactly why Moses did it, but the imagery that Paul talks about is what's important. And the imagery is this, is that when there's a veil over your face, it keeps you from seeing something, clearly. And if you can't see, in this case, Jesus, if you can't see the glory of the Lord, hardness of heart happens. There's no softness, there's no changing. It's just hardness, he says. And so Paul, actually, what he's saying is, now that Jesus has come, and later on, in the next chapter in 2 Corinthians, he would say that we can see the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. We can actually see God's glory. Paul is saying that just as Moses was able to enter God's presence without a veil, so too, anyone who turns to Jesus in faith, the veil of separation is removed. And we actually now can see 
we can behold. And this is actually not as strange as it might seem. We use this language all the time. I mean, we talk about this idea of, we might say something like this. You're listening to someone or you're reading something, you're thinking about it, and then you say out loud or in your head, oh, oh, I see. Now I see. What happens right then? Well, something clicked. To use this imagery, a veil was removed. You could see it, right? This was me in math my entire life, just banging my head against the wall like, I don't see it. I don't see it. I, oh, there it is. Okay. I wish that was a little easier. It's like that. And we, when we're talking to people, we might say, do you see what I'm saying? Do you really see what I'm saying? Or are you just nodding your head, right? We're all guilty of that. Sometimes we nod our head because we think eventually we'll see, and sometimes we nod our head because we don't want to see. We just want them to stop talking. But we understand this language because we use it. Oh, I see. And this is what's happening here. And you'll notice that even in our life when we say, oh, I see, that thing that happens produces movement. So if it's a math problem and, oh, I see, then I start working the problem because I understand it. But when you see something, it then brings about movement or change or growth. So once you see Jesus, then, Paul is saying, you will grow. You will change. And I get this assumption by the way he talks about it here in verse 18. The beginning of 18, he says, and we all, so that's everyone who has looked to the Lord, all of us, not just Paul, not just pastors, all who look upon Jesus now have an unveiled face. And we behold, we are looking. We don't just glance, we're gazing, looking intently. And then all of us who have looked and gazed are being transform. So that's why he's assuming there's growth. The veil is removed. Oh, I see. We gaze. We're being transformed. And so transformation is not sin management. It's actually transformation. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, if you were with us, by the way, it's because sin management is really a lot pretty easy, actually. It can be brought about in lots of different ways. That's what the Pharisees tried to do in the Sermon on the Mount. If you were with us for those weeks, you understand that the Pharisees actually cared about righteousness. They cared about it. The problem was is their strategy was all wrong. Their strategy was this. We care about righteousness, and so we need to modify our behavior and seek control. That's what they did over and over and over, and that's what Jesus was showing them. But he says, what I'm calling you to is not behavior modification, and it's not seeking control, but it's beholding me. And so, as we talk about transformation today, growth comes by the Spirit and by gazing upon the Lord. So there's an assumption that when we see Jesus, we will grow. But there's also a trajectory and this is really important to talk about. So there's an assumption, but he also talks about a trajectory of growth. And he says this, from one degree of glory to another. And this is very encouraging. Now, if it's true, which I think it is, that when we see Jesus, we will grow, then we have to ask ourselves, are we growing? When's the last time you asked yourself that? Am I growing? Now, that can be a freaky thing. 
right? You can be a little too navel-gazing. So let's think about this for a second. If we're talking about one degree of glory to another, it's more like a tree in terms of how we see growth. For example, uh, I recently was back home in Indiana, the house I grew up in, and I remember about 20 years ago helping, helping my dad plant these four trees okay, in our backyard. And they were, t- they were small. And of course, as I grew over the years through middle school, high school, I saw them grow. But it wasn't until this last trip home that I realized how big they'd gotten. I mean, now they're, they actually give shade, these four trees in the backyard. And I thought to myself, that's amazing how much they'd grown. But you see, it was over a, a 20 years of trajectory that I look back and see how they'd grown. If, if we planted them and I came back the next week, I'd be like, Dad, I don't know if these trees are growing. Right? That would, you don't do that. You don't come back to watch a tree grow in a day or a week or even a month. But a year, you come back and you say, oh, it's grown. Or Leah at her grandparents' house, just like we, every place we move, take this, this piece of paper, like a ruler paper, and we draw the lines for our kids, and we look back the next year, and we say, look, you've grown. That's amazing. We didn't even realize how much you've grown, two inches this year. That's the type of growth that we should be looking for. We should be zooming out and having the long picture because if you do it the other way, you could also fool yourself that you're growing when really you just had like a good two months. But actually, your upward trajectory is not growth. It's quite the opposite. And so we have to zoom out. It's more like a tree. Now, I do realize that there are seasons in our life that we might call like explosive growth. It's just just like a baby. Like we have a baby, you know what it's like. You have a newborn. In those first 12 months, a lot happens. They go from barely being able to raise their head to basically walking and saying words in 12 months. And some of us in our faith, it might have been high school or college when you look back and you, you say, that was an explosion of growth. I haven't experienced many seasons in my life where there's an explosion of growth. So it's both and. It's that trajectory over time, but then also there are seasons where we ought to expect explosions or really quick growth. For some of us, also, it's trial. We've, we look back at a, at a season of intense trial, and we say, man, God did amazing things in that trial. The way he grew us. Why? Because we, had, we were brought to the end of ourself, and we had to gaze at Jesus in a way that we wouldn't have normally, and we grew. So those things are true, but it brings us to maybe what the most important thing about our trajectory of growth is this question. Do I want to grow? So it's not just have I grown, but right now, in this moment, ask yourself, do I want to grow? Because some of you don't. Some of us don't want to grow. I mean, we keep coming back, but the reality is, is our life is like, oh, pretty decent. Our life's okay. You know, we... we, what we're thinking about is, well, I mean, I'm pretty comfortable. Um, my kids aren't crazy. I have the money that I need. And everything's going okay. So I don't really know if I need to grow. Not this way. I mean, I may desire to grow in terms of the promotion or the new car or the latest video game. But our priority is not growth, not in glory. Not the way that Paul is talking about it. Think about your prayers, for example. 
When is the last time we pled with God, I, Lord, I want one more degree today? Not simply, oh, Lord, get me through the day. This is insanity. But I want one more degree today. Grow me. Change me. Use me. I was convicted this week in community Bible reading as I was praying. I was journaling it out. And about three sentences in a row, I said, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And there's nothing wrong with asking for help. But what I realized was that when I was saying that, I was asking God to help me or bless me in what I was going to do that day as though I was the one that was in charge. Like, hey, I'm doing this. I could really use your help. I'm going to do it anyway. But if you could help me, that would be helpful and good. And I was convicted saying, no, actually, let me flip that. Lord, change me. Change me today. I want to see you, Jesus. I want to gaze upon you so that I would be changed from the inside out. And then I can ask, okay, now that I've seen you, help me be faithful to what you've called me to do today. And so it's kind of like climbing a large mountain, which I've never done, but I have done in my imagination this week. So you climb a large mountain. I can imagine after a couple, maybe a day, day and a half of Everest or something like that, you look back down and you realize, wow, I'm pretty high. But then you look forward and you're like, wow, I have a long way to go. And I think that that is the trajectory of growth too. So we're always zooming in and zooming out. Lord, change me today. Then we zoom out and we're like, wow, you've done a lot. I've grown a lot. And then we look forward and we say, wow, I, I have a way to go. So please, again, next day, change me. Change me. And so as we think about growth and we think about change and we think about gazing, I was reflecting on this passage and I realized that based on our experience, something can short circuit here. Because I think some of us have felt like, well, Damien, I've done those things. Like, I've done what you've said. I've tried to gaze upon Jesus. I've, I've asked him to change me. And I just haven't changed. I'm not changing like I want to change. And what happens is that it produces in us cynicism. We begin to think, well, other people can change, but I can't. Or I can change, but my spouse can't. My friend can't. My children can't. My coworker can't. The gospel's not powerful enough to change them. It's not powerful enough to change me. Have you ever asked yourself that? Well, can, the, can Jesus actually change this? Can he actually warm my cold heart? Can he actually bring it back to life? Is there actually hope for me to change and to grow? Now, what I'm about to do is going to seem like probably an, a detour, but it's not. I'm not I, it might be. I, I don't think it is. This reality of the fact that we live our life and sometimes when our expectations aren't met, it causes cynicism and coldness. And we start to doubt the power, the transformative power of Jesus. Um, this happens. And it's one of the reasons why at New City, we actually, there are a lot of us, uh, that have been in counseling. And it seems like in the past few weeks, there's been a lot of people talking about that. Like, man, you can't swing a cat at New City and not hit someone who's in counseling. It's true. <laughs> it's actually true. Uh, so, as, as we've been talking, um, 
it's, it's brought up some really good conversations. And that is, so what changes people? Do you have to be in counseling to be changed? Do you have to go see a professional to be changed? Or can I come alongside you as not a professional and try to display Jesus to you and you see Jesus and you're changed? Well, we believe that the answer is, of course you don't need counseling. There's nothing, there's nothing magical about counseling. But the counselors we work with at New City, with us, understand what changes people. And it's seeing Jesus is what changes people. But let me tell you why I think counseling can be so useful and why I recommend people go to counseling. There are so many of us that are, have been so wounded by the sin against us and so hurt that we need help in peeling back the layers through conversation, through someone pointing out our vicious cycles of mental confusion and our own sin and point them out and call us out on those and draw us out. Why? It's not, it's not the inherent connection that happens between the counselor and the counselee that changes people, but it's through that connection the counselor, good counselors, will then in that moment say, right there, right there, right there, Jesus can change that. Right now, together, let's go and gaze upon Jesus together. And you see, the reality is, is that all of us need help in this. This thing, this, this being transformed is personal, but it's not private. How many people has God used in your life to lead you to better seeing Jesus? I mean, there are times when I've talked to people in hospitals in this church who have thanked us, thanked me and the people with me. Thank you for praying. Right now, there's no way that I could pray. There's no way. But seeing you see Jesus for me in this time and in this place, I know I'll see him. I know I'll see him. Thank you for praying. And some of us, we don't even have to be in those circumstances, but we see Jesus in other people in a way that we wouldn't naturally see him. They, they see him and behold him because of the way that he's made them and their life experiences. And we watch those people display him in life and, and we say, tell me about that. Tell me about that. It's like my, my oldest daughter. She sees the world in a way that I don't see it. I just, like when I look at things, it, it, I can see detail, but at first I just see a blob. Like, for example, like we have these, this blanket in our house that has these patterns on it. And all I ever saw was, were colors. And recently she said, hey, daddy, will you go get me the blanket with those little purple flowers on it with the little circle in the middle? And I was like, we don't have a blanket like that. She's like, no, we do. It's this, that. So she shows me. And lo and behold, I looked. There were flowers on that blanket, little purple ones with little circles in them. And I had never seen those before. And then all of a sudden I thought, wow, this is a pretty beautiful little blanket. And this is true. I will ask my oldest daughter, who's six, I will say when we are in places or looking at something, I'll say, Livy, what do you see? Tell me what you see. Because it helps me. She sees the world so differently than I do. And then I see it. And there are people that see Jesus in a way that I think, oh, you're right, it's there. I never saw that before. Thank you for helping me see that. And I saw it through you. And so there's this, this walking of one degree of glory to another. There's this asking, do I wanna grow? But it's never alone. It's always with other people, which is why, by the way, it's called community Bible reading. And it's why I call it personal worship and not private worship. 
It's not wrong to call it private worship, but I'm trying to emphasize the fact that when you see Jesus and he changes you, he's going to send you out to display him to other people. And so there is this assumption of growth, there is this trajectory of growth, but here there is a target of growth. And of course, if you look, it's Jesus. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. There is this assumption. The trajectory from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit's job is to point us, to aim us at Jesus and to make us more like him. Again, it's not alone. It's not even magical. There's some mystery to it, but it's, no, it's, not, it's not magic how people grow. It's just, it's not. It's very clear. You grow as you gaze upon the glory of the Lord. That's how we all grow. You will look more like the Lord when you spend more time looking at the Lord because we become what we behold. I remember when I was uh, in, in college, I really got into road cycling. And so you, if you've seen it on TV, you, you see them in long lines of people. Well, the first long ride I went on in a group of people was, uh, was a 57-mile ride from a specific place where I'm from, my hometown, to Bloomington, Indiana. So it's very hilly in southern Indiana. And I think back about the roads, and there was no shoulder, and it was crazy dangerous, and I would never do it again. Okay? It was like, seriously, if this is where somebody's right wheel is, this is where I was. It was freaky. Not only was I, did I feel pressured from this side, you have to stay really close to that person in front of you. I mean, like an inch apart from their wheel. And so about 25 miles in, me being the rookie, a friend of mine stayed behind me to help me. And he was very experienced. And we stopped and he was like, Damien, you are, you're gonna kill somebody. It's like, you're, you're flying all over. You're gonna get hit by a car. You're gonna kill somebody. What's wrong with you? And I said, I can't stay in the straight line. And he said, well, what are you looking at? And I said, I don't know. He's like, uh, well, wherever you're looking is actually where you're going to go. So wherever your gaze is, that's where your wheel will go. So don't look at my tire, please, because you'll hit my tire. But if you look right at the ground where you want to go, and of course you got to look up in your surroundings, but your peripheral vision will help you. But focus, wherever you look, that's where your wheel is going to go. Simple, right? Wherever you look, that's where you'll go. If you've ever golfed, you realize that mainly if you're like me and 95% of people, you think of where you don't want the ball to go, not where you want it to go. Do you not? You think, I don't want to go over there. That's where the trees are. That's where the water is. My dad is a golf pro and he used to give lessons. And when I golf with him, I'll be about to chip a shot on, onto the green. He'll say, hey, what are you, where are you going to hit the ball? I'm like, uh, in the hole. And he's like, there's a lot of grass between you and the hole. Are you going to slam dunk it? Uh, I'm like, no, I'm not planning on that. Okay, is it going to roll? Yeah. Okay, are there hills before it gets to the, where, where are you looking? How is it going to get there? Where is it going to land? Pick a circle that it's going to land in. Picture your shot. You see, I'm sharing all of these examples. We know what it's like. Wherever you look, it's where your car goes. It's where your bike goes, right? Whatever you picture, that's where you're going to lean. 
What is your target? And Paul says, to grow, your target must be Christ. What are you looking at? What are you gazing at? You know, uh, this gaze, though, is not just a gaze of understanding. It's a gaze of adoration. This isn't just a casual observance. Like I said earlier, it's not just cars driving by you on the interstate. It's like if I were the groom and those doors opened and my bride was coming down. It's that kind of gazing. It's the gaze that every married man right now can picture what his wife looked like when, when, she, when those doors were opened, when she started walking. You can remember. You can remember how you felt. You know what it looks like. It's not all of the cars that I passed just glanced at on the way here and I did not pay attention to. There was no deliberate looking. There was just glancing. This is a gazing that leads to growth. And you know, this gazing, a lot of us, if you're like me, we spend so much of our time just playing around with it. It's like we could take, we could just bathe and drink deeply from Jesus, but a lot of us take these like, you know, the cocktail straws, you know, like they're mainly made for stirring. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, he's talking about liquor. Listen, it's the same way with coffee, right? You, you stir these things. Those straws are so tiny, but if you, if you suck really hard, you can get a little bit of liquid out of it. You see your kids do it all the time. So many of us, we try to drink from Jesus out of a cocktail straw. We're trying real hard, but we're not really drinking much. When actually, he invites us to jump in and just drink and freely, to, to thrust our head into the rushing river that just comes into our face and into our mouth. That's the type of gazing Paul's talking about. That's beholding. It's not glancing, it's not the cocktail straw, it's the plunging your face into the water. That's the type of growth that Paul is calling us to. And the good news is, is you don't have to become a monk in order to do this. We do CBR together, the point of CBR is seeing Jesus, but you can see Jesus throughout the day. Think about this with me. There are times when I think I need to be patient. I need to be patient right now. Okay, so do you want to muscle up and willpower that thing or do you actually want to change? Do you actually want to become more patient? Do you want to be patient in that moment or do you want to become the type of person who is more regularly patient? In that moment, you have to look at Jesus. Look at Jesus with his disciples when they just wouldn't get it. They wouldn't get it. They wouldn't get it. Do you still not know? They're like, no, not really over and over and over, year after year, 24-7. He never got away from these guys. He goes to pray. Peter chases him down. What are you doing? We need you back over here. I mean, he couldn't get away from them, but he shows amazing patience. Or what about when you want to be more courageous, right? You're, you're going into a meeting, a conversation that's not going to be happy, maybe. <laughs> it's going to be difficult. Well, did Jesus ever have those conversations? Yeah, all the time. Jesus couldn't even walk to a place without being confronted with people who didn't like him. And so what are you going to do? How are you going to be the type of person who's courageous? Well, you, you look to Jesus. Or what about uh, when you want to muster up uh, uh, the, the bravery to, to speak truth into someone's life like Jesus did? Now, let me tell you something. What I did not say is to muster up the strength to imitate him. I didn't say, look at what Jesus does and do what he does. That's not what I said. I said, look at him. 
Look at him. Look at, imagine his face with the disciples. Imagine the love in his eyes. Dwell on that. Imagine the softness. He wasn't hard in his face. Imagine the invitation and the tone of his voice. What about when he was courageous? He didn't walk in all hardened and cynical and full of contempt. He walked in always open but confident in the love of the Father. Just imagine, gaze at Jesus, gaze at him, not to imitate him, but to see him. Because when you see him, you'll become like him. My youngest daughter this week, I overheard crying as Leah was talking to her and Leah was correcting her and my youngest daughter was losing her mind. And Leah just calmly kept saying, look at my face, look at my face. And when she looked, she said, what do you see? And Scarlett said, I see love. What do you see when you look at Jesus' face, when you need more courage, when you need more patience? You see, the gaze that grows is the gaze that sees Jesus as beautiful, not simply useful. If you see Jesus only as useful, you will not change. But when we see him as beautiful, then we'll change. The gaze that sees Jesus as worthy of me laying my life down, of worthy of me beholding, of worthy of me gazing, even in the everyday moments of life, that's the gaze that grows. So the invitation today is go to CBR with us in the morning to see Jesus, not to check the box, but to see him. Don't just try to imitate him, but gaze upon him. Gaze upon his face in the eyes of your heart, and I pray that they'll be enlightened and you see him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. <clears throat> we do want to change. We, we are so aware of how we fall short of the glory that we want to see, the change we want to see, the growth we want to see. We want to display you more and oftentimes we feel pathetic. But we ask for a few things. We ask that you would increase our desire to grow. We ask that you would call our gaze upon your face and not upon our own works. That you would call our gaze upon Jesus, not mainly to imitate him, but to see him so that we'll be transformed by the spirit to become more like him. And we ask that we would more intentionally, more deliberately focus on you. Not like I often do, just think abstractly, but to think specifically about your amazing beauty and your works in the world that would call us to see your face and to grow us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.